Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. So the first brand in your life to make an impact on you? Um, the Gap. The, their like advertising in the 90s is something that I like remember quite distinctly. It was like music led. I think they did like a Madonna riff in one. They did. They, it was just like so of the time. And then from like a fashion standpoint, it's like very real. They were kind of the head of their time. It's not super editorial, not super manicured. Um, and then the clothes were just everything was just so approachable. It feels like there was just so much there. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Selena Calvaria. She's the VP of Brand at Away, which is a really hot travel company. Away is a luggage company, and their luggage has many special innovative features. They sort of came in to disrupt the luggage industry, and they are now aspiring to be a total travel company. Their purpose is to transform travel so that travel can transform you. And Selena, in this podcast, talks all about how they activate that purpose and how they have created a very special culture. This is my conversation with Selena. So what other companies do you admire? You know, you're a company that so many admire. Who are you inspired by? It's hard. I, when people ask me this question, I'm always like, I'm inspired by like what I would put together would be like a Mr. Potato Head of the brands that I want to be like and that I'm inspired by. Um, Some of them are pretty like classic, but when I think about culture, marketing, storytelling, you know, Nike's going to win there, but build the community of a Lululemon or a Peloton, create the talk value of a Burger King. Um, and then lastly, to me, really data-driven, consumer-led startup that is scaled into a big global brand would be Spotify. Yeah. So that's, those are the ones you admire. Yeah. Potato head. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just, we're trying to, I'm, we're I'm trying to do Lululemon all of those. today, so. Yeah. They've really been able to transcend um, just athleisure. So it's been pretty incredible yeah, to see. For sure. So I met you in Cannes this year mm-hmm. at the big festival, the Belt Marketing Festival in Cannes, and I asked you to come into my classroom, which was filled with about 50 CMOs, most of them more senior than you. Mm-hmm. But I wanted them to hear what a head of marketing for a really fast-growing startup has to say about marketing and work and culture, and, and you were just remarkable. So mm-hmm. it has been a goal of mine to have you on this podcast to share a bit of how you approach your brand, your team, your marketing. So we're going to get into that later because okay. you're, you're, you have such wonderful thinking about that. But the first thing I wanted to do is kind of walk through your career and then walk through a bit of your company before getting to you and marketing. Yeah, of So course. that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to go way back. I'm going to start with you're one of four kids, three girls and one boy. That is true. So I want you to share sort of in each of these experiences I'm going to throw at you, just kind of one lesson or one memory mm-hmm. that has helped make you who you are today. 
Now, my wife's one of 11, and there were oh. eight girls in that family. So wow. it's a real girl family. I'm one of six, and we were four boys, two girls. So we were kind of more of a boys' family. Interesting. So tell me about yours. Um, I would say, I guess I would call myself the, I mean, definitely being the oldest, there's a different set of um, expectations. Your parents are figuring it out as you're figuring it out. Um, but I think- for, They did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> um, they'll like to hear that. Um, but I think- I, I'm going to pivot it in a really, you know, an amazing way, which is that I felt like in many ways the trailblazer of my family because I had to set the tone and expectations um, for what, you know, growing up looked like. Um, I think some of my siblings would say that made their lives very challenging. Um, but I would say to them, my life was hard because my parents didn't know what kind of curfew to give me, so they would give me like 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Um, when all my friends, you know, were, were able to stay out until midnight um, to eventually none of my siblings had a curfew. So I really kind of um, bore the And you grew up in New York City. And I grew up in New York yeah. City. Yeah. So um, great at hailing cabs, can't drive. Um, but, you know, so I, I kind of took the responsibility of what it was to chart what it was look like to, to grow up in New York, to be a teenager. Um, to operate at like a really high academic level and have tons of friends. I hope they're, they're still my friends. Um, and and to really like to really build that and set the tone for my, the rest of my family. So you ended up at Princeton in art and archaeology and finance, sort of a double major. So a lesson from that experience? Ooh, um, I was just in Princeton, by the way, last week. It's, it's so beautiful. beautiful. It's been years since I was there. Just it's remarkable. There's um there's a great like palpable energy yeah, when you're there. I agree with that. It's like you can feel all the like academics of years past are are just like living and breathing there. But for me, I think, you know, I was someone who always like actually oriented myself much more towards math and science. And so when I started at Princeton, it felt very natural that I would end up in some, some type of math track, which I did. Um, I ended up doing like math track economics, pursuing that as a degree. Um, but this other part of me was like, this is going to give you a little insight into me in high school was like obsessed with celebrities and music and mm -hmm. pop culture. Mm -hmm. I like went to TRL multiple times, um, to stand outside and like hope that I could get chosen. Um, I like, that's cute. Yeah. I, I worked, um, in the music business, like doing internships all of high school. And so there was this like entertainment-y like lifestyle, something that I couldn't really put my finger on that I you was jumped really into that cold. About. Did you have a family member in the music business? Or, no, no, no. I just, I just loved it. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, when I got to Princeton, I was like, okay, but like academically, I'm a math person, so I'm going to do math. Um, and then I took an art history class, and I was like blown away by looking at like visual imagery, the amount of culture, um, like what's happening socioeconomically, um, political climate, uh, economics, everything that's baked into the visual representation of that story. And I realized that I was so much more interested in building like the story and the context through math and through finance into visual imagery. Um, so I ended up being like, sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> I know like there's only, you know, you thought I was really good at math, but I really want to, <laughs> I really want to major in art history. Um, and they're like, okay. But then I, I actually pursued the, the finance track too. So then I was able to write my thesis um, on kind of branding the two. For me, I always like to do things that are unexpected and feel like, you know, I was the only person in my entire Princeton class to pursue 
those two together. And so I wrote my thesis on um, the making of the modern art market post-1950, post-World War II, when the center of the art market moves to, and creativity moves from Europe to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, you have like a boost in um, commercial art and this like confusion between what's commerce, what's... That sounds publishable. Did you do anything with it? Um, I've I've considered publishing it, yeah. yeah. Um, and then basically, if you had invested in art at that time, you'd be a very wealthy person today. And so I built like all the models behind it. So you didn't know it at the time, but this was perfect preparation for a way, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Really yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you went the math route. You went to credit squeeze for a couple yeah. of years after what was the lesson there? Um, I think I think Princeton was such like an incredible education. Like I loved writing that thesis, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I think you end up being recruited pretty heavily in 2008. So yeah. I didn't really know what was going to happen there. Um, so, you know, I had done really well and I was really, I was really excited by what I had been doing in finance because I was much more on the sales and trading side, mm-hmm. at least at the time. So, so much storytelling and like what's going on in the market today and like crazy time to go to banking, crazy time. And so I was actually, I loved like the thrill and the pressure of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I ended up going that direction, but I got antsy pretty quickly. You got antsy, you went to Harvard, you studied Harvard business school. How was, what's the lesson out of that experience? Did you have a favorite course or direction coming out of Harvard? Yeah. I mean, I, I went to HBS being like, I know I'm a career switcher, but I don't know what that looks like. Um, I thought I wanted to maybe go back into entertainment, be an agent um, or kind of CNBC, like some sort of finance production, sure. some, some way to like build these two worlds together. But yeah, I went to HBS. Um, even like I thought what there's definitely something in the art market that's not there today that could really be leveraged through me coming up with something at Harvard. But I took a marketing class and I was like, wait, this is art and finance. That's right. And that's I just discipline. And I just didn't know what it was called. Because I had never studied it before. So it became pretty. So you knew immediately marketing was yeah, the area. I knew that was it. And I, um, you know, interviewed at a ton of places. And I want, you know, for me, the kind of industry that I worked in really mattered. It had to be something I was passionate about and something that I thought was really emotional, really brand led, really like culturally relevant like really played into consumer, you know, values, behaviors. There was like a lot of psychology behind it. And I was fascinated. So you left Harvard, you went to Diageo, which is full of lifestyle brands. Yep. Then you went to AB InBev, which mm-hmm. also is lifestyle. And then you're at Away in lifestyle. So tell me a little bit about Diageo. What about that helped prepare you to be the leader you are today? And then mm-hmm. what about AB InBev? Yeah, I would actually say I feel so fortunate. They were almost two sides of the coin playing in the same industry. So Diageo is where I learned like extremely strong brand building skills. What brand were you started? Oh, I had start a fun on? time. I was on Smirnoff Ice. Smirnoff, okay. I did a little bit of Guinness, a little bit of Red Stripe, a little bit of Parrot Bay, um, but it was mostly Smirnoff Ice. And I think it, it's like a theme that I've noticed in a lot of what I've done in the past, which is that was the redheaded stepchild of that company. But sure. I loved that because I got to be kind of zagging and doing much more interesting things and taking on a much bigger piece of the business. Um, without as much oversight sure. while still leveraging the whole resource with all the resources of the company. But Diageo is famous for um, something called the Diageo way of brand building. And so being really- Which is st- kind of their booklet, their 
their way of thinking, yeah, the way yeah. how they teach, how they recruit, yeah. Yeah. So if you can get your hands on that copy of that, I would love it now. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> um, which is basically how do you build brands? Um, and they have like, you know, they have a philosophy on the positioning wheel and all those kinds of segmentation. Um, and how to build like that visual identity, that tone of voice, something that's steeped in culture, highly creative place. Um, and so I loved that. I feel like that's where I learned advertising, um, media. Uh, that's where I learned really to build something from scratch. Packaging, like all the fundamentals were Diageo. When we went over to Anheuser-Busch, similarly on a redheaded step title of the business, but I was like so in it. I loved that. Um, it was on the flavored malt beverage franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, so Limerita was like the big one then. Um, Anheuser-Busch is much more, I would say, you know, is much more business led as a brand director which meant that I was responsible for had much stronger PL oversight um innovation oversight uh lots of strategy work lots of public speaking and presentation and defending lots of org charting um lots of analysis pricing analysis uh distribution analysis anything you could think of like I felt like I knew my business inside and out so much so when I would see someone had a logo in another conference room with the Limerita logo I was like what are they talking about like total ownership total ownership um and coupled with all obviously the calm side of things the brand positioning side the creative side but i felt that really set me up to come to a way what would you say is the key to success for today's cmo if you said data you wouldn't be the only one at deloitte however we believe data is only half of the equation the other half story because data is the language of business but story is the language of humans And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So tell me about the decision from AB InBev to Away. We're going to talk about the company in a minute, but what was that like for you? You know, you had um, two big, big CPG companies. You learned a lot. Uh, You were going to a startup. And this was what, two years ago? Yeah, like a year and a half ago. Yeah. A year and a half ago. So there's risk in that, right? Mm-hmm. It looks like it has a nice story now, but you, you didn't know that when you joined, when you started talking to them. So what was going on in your head? Yeah, I mean, I think I had absolutely loved my time at both AB and Diageo. I mean, so much so that I, you know, I'm still so close to them. But I think for me, um, as a marketer, I thought there was two, there was, gaps I wanted to close from my experience. And then there were things that I thought I could bring a ton of value to a high growth kind of business like away. And that is I had such classic brand training that I believe no matter what type of business you are, big, small, startup, corporate, like they're fundamentals that you need, like why you exist, why should people care? What are the mm-hmm. values you have as a brand? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you lead? How do you operate? What's your personality? What do you look and feel like? And I thought I could bring all of that to a really high growth startup to help scale their brand into the future. Because mm-hmm. I, I definitely saw away from afar and I was like, it's all there. And I would love to be the person to like write the rules around it. Did you reach out to them or did they reach out to you? Um, I reached happen? out to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and on the, at the same time. You just love the brand and you thought this could be really cool. Yeah, I had so I started looking because I was like, I, I'm ready to move mm-hmm. on from this. And honestly, for me, like the future of alcohol, I don't I don't know what that'll look like. But for me, you know, the wholesale system, short term led, right, not digitally forward. And 
for me, also not necessarily progressive in terms of speaking to women, multicultural consumers, other types of groups. I just felt like for me to progress my career, it's time for me to go do something different and to bring all the best of what I've learned to a new business. So I had three criteria when I was looking at companies um, that I would want to go to. One is that they were brand-led. So a lot of- um, We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, a lot of high-growth businesses are actually, when you read head of marketing role, it's it reads like performance marketing and acquisition retention, things that are incredibly important, but I'm a brand marketer. It's like, then it's probably not a brand-led business if that's what they're looking for in their head of marketing. Two is that the product was exceptional. So there are a lot of companies that create incredible brands, but the product actually doesn't hold up to what they're promising. And the third was, you know, back to what I felt when I went to alcohol to begin with, a category that I was passionate about and that other people were, and it was inherently shareable and something that people wanted to talk about. Left very few companies. <laughs> so what, what companies were you considering at the time? Um, uh, gosh, honestly, there were so few. There was mm -hmm. like Spotify, um, Glossier, Away. So you went to Away about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And you went in as head of brand, I think you were called? Yeah, as a VP of brand marketing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're now CMO, basically. Um, SVP of brand, yeah. SVP of brand. Okay. So so tell us a little bit about what, I mean, the company is high growth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fast revenue growth, high market cap, your unicorn plus, uh, two really remarkable founders. Mm -hmm. You're reporting to Jen. Well, to both, both actually. To both of them. Yeah. So it just seems from the outside like a really, really wonderful place to work. So tell us a bit what it's like to work there. What's the company like? Yeah. What's the feeling? What's important? What's valued? You know, just yeah. give us a sense before we dive down into marketing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty thrilling to be a part of. I think one of the things that I love the most is as a business, we can see the customer feedback and the results of our business, of, what, of the decisions we make almost immediately. Um, and I think that definitely builds into what it's like to operate and to lead at a way. But as far as our culture, I'm, it's, it's so unique and it's so exciting to be a part of. So um, there, are two, there are two of our core values that I um, am most excited about every day. One is around being empowered. So Steph and Jen are both incredible leaders, ex super visionary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, visionary. Um, they have such a strong conviction in what they're doing, and which makes it so exciting um, to report to them. But I think they empower their team to come with recommendations. How do we make things better? How do we change this process? How do we look at this differently? And I feel like that fosters such a, a healthy dialogue within the entire business that we're always like pushing and challenging and seeing how we can how we can you know continue to optimize. The second is around being um, iterative. You know, it's a principle that comes from a lot of product companies, but for us, we believe that it's like almost a sense of being never satisfied, um, which means we're all, just because we did something one way doesn't mean we'll do it again the same way. And your con our context in a high growth environment is changing so often that we have a responsibility to the, you know, to the business to actually iterate all the time and to our customers. So that, you know, and I, I the third one, which I think is inherent in any brand builder, but it's also one of our core values is customer obsession. So we, we iterate every single day based on what our customers tell us. And so that really feeds through the halls of everything we do. So tell us a little bit more about Away for the listeners who may not be as familiar yeah. with it. I mean, it's a kind of a hard brand to pin down. Your course, you started with selling luggage mm -hmm. and a disruptive product. Mm -hmm. But now, I mean, you have a podcast, you have a book, you give travel advice. So what is Away if you had to explain it to 
you know, my mother. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're a global travel lifestyle brand. Um, and we we started with luggage, and that has evolved to many more products and services um, that are all in the travel space that are all transforming the way we perceive travel um, throughout the entire journey. So what do you think are the biggest opportunities or unmet problems or or tensions or frustrations with travel that you think you can play a role in without giving away your strategy? But I mean, I'm a frequent traveler and it's not always great. Yeah, I think one of the challenges of working in a um, industry that people are inherently so passionate about and love is that it's really hard to gain share of mind. So even if you, if I'm like travel, what's the first brand that comes to you? And you're like, well, is it, is it the means of travel? Is it like where I stay? Is it the destination? Is it destination? Yeah. Like what does travel mean? So what I feel like is an unmet need, I mean, from a consumer standpoint, um, is that there isn't one, there isn't one brand that's really solving all the different pain points along the entire journey. I would say, you know, away today is operating in a piece of it, but how can we become actually top of mind to tra- on tra- about travel for the entire the entire journey? And so, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of micro needs within that whole journey, and I think we're looking at what we can what we can offer our customers there. Do you have a competition? Ooh, it's kind I mean, of in luggage. I'm sure you do, of course, but in the larger travel space, um, I think. I think it's it's definitely hard to pin down. I think something interesting about so going starting with luggage is the number one brand in luggage as far as awareness standpoint is Samsonite, but it and it's at fifty six percent fifty. I have to look at the last mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. data. Um, you know, coming from the from the brands that we want to build one day and where I've been in the past, that's actually a very low awareness category, and that means that people are aware of brands that they actually don't really like or care about any of them. So for us, like that's total white space for us to build awareness, but also build meaningful awareness, something that creates like that emotional connection. But then as we think about, okay, so that's like in the one vertical. So then how do we grow awareness like across all of them? I I mean, I think we think Airbnb is doing a great job. Um, They're from kind of services almost stretching down and we're kind of from product stretching. And I think they're formidable competition. What about any of the hotel companies? Is, are they doing anything that's inspiring for you or there's lessons from that? Um, there's definitely lessons. I think a lot of like the loyalty programs, um, all I'm hearing these days, the Marriott's Bonvoy program and what they've been able to do has been pretty amazing. Pretty remarkable and, feat. And they're doing a pretty good job with reaching out too. Yeah. And I think um, that's been super interesting. So we're definitely looking at that. I think some of the airlines are making huge leaps in terms of from a loyalty standpoint, but also engaging their community in a much deeper way. Um, that, you know, is definitely things that we're looking at as far as, um, you know, the role that Away can play there. So you're working on this great lifestyle brand and you worked on lifestyle brands at Diageo and AB and Bev. What's the biggest difference in your lifestyle brand now versus them? Ooh, um, I think, I mean, honestly for us is that we've had to build ours from scratch and a lot of, you know, at, at those companies, I want to say there's brand baggage, but there is. Yeah, there's a history, of course. Um, yeah, in a good, and sometimes for mm-hmm. good, and sometimes for bad. Um, I think for us, we get to build it from scratch, which means that kind of the the values and kind of the lifestyle cues and the role we play in culture is much more contemporary um, than what I've seen a lot of older brands try and, you know, 
they're kind of, I call them like the Madonna, which is that they're always like reinventing themselves to feel like they're keeping up with the times. And for us, we were just like native to the times. And the people who work on our business and the people who um, keep it growing, Steph and Jen as our leaders, like for us, it's just like natural to grow in that way as opposed to kind of look at it under a microscope and continuously try and change. So I think for us, we're just, I think we're lucky that we get to create it. To create it. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading a book right now. I have it on the table here. It's by Jesse Horowitz, mm. who founded Hubble, and mm-hmm. it's called Selling Naked. And the subtitle is A Revolutionary Approach to Launching Your Brand Online. And I've met Jesse years ago. The book's, And the book is coming out from my publisher, and it's really good. Mm. And it gets into, you know, the, you know, the excitement, but also the craziness yeah. of building a brand online. So if you were to write a book about how mm-hmm. to build a great direct-to-consumer lifestyle brand, what would be a few of the chapter headings? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the very first one for me is like set, setting your brand purpose. Um, I'm a brand-led person. So to me, it's you might have an idea of what your product is, but what's the brand you're going to build and how is the brand going to drive eventually all your product decisions? So I guess your brand purpose is first, your product purpose. Can I pause on that one? Yeah. When I think about a way, what 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 is what do you think the brand purpose is? Um, well, we, I can tell you what we've written. Okay. Um, but you know, for us, it's something that we've continued to iterate on. So um, well, I it's think a, it's a living thing. It's right? a living and breathing thing. But a way exists to transform travel, so that travel can transform you. No, it's nice. It is. Um, and I think we use that really to inform chapter two, which is your product purpose and your product strategy, um, because that has to live up to your purpose. Otherwise, it doesn't carry through. Um, third chapter is building your community. Um, and the customer experience you want to provide. Um, and the fourth is really scaling that for the future. So four-chapter book. I guess. I, it feels <laughs> light. It's probably just not enough pages to be published. It'll but be that's long what chapters. I can think of at the moment. Yeah. Oh, that's, no, it's great. And I want to I get into a little bit more about uh, the purpose grounds you, and that's where you start. Uh, but I want to now get into uh, a little bit of your job mm-hmm. and your role. Uh, you're sort of the head of marketing at a way and just tell me a bit about how you think about branding and marketing at a way how what work do you do what work does your team do if you had to put it in buckets mm-hmm. what would they be and what others could learn by how you approach marketing and i remember in yeah. can you told me about you sort of have the performance marketers and the brand marketers yeah well and maybe yeah. that's been updated yeah but i mean no. that's always it's living and breathing but i think um I think a lot of companies talk about being brand led. I think Away is really is truly a brand led company. So what does that mean to be brand led? Yeah. So for us, what that means is that basically our brand strategy is our company strategy. Um, they very much fold together, and that means that the entire company should feel enabled to make a brand led decision um, that is customer obsessed and that will end up delivering the most value to the to the business. So. That means our brand strategy really guides everything that we do. What you know, the way we fulfill orders from an operational standpoint, the way we build our website on the website, um, customer experience actually sits as part of the brand team. So all of that really guides what we do. Um, what I spend a lot of my time doing is that, which is how do I work across all of the leadership team in terms of guiding what how the brand infiltrates their parts of the business. So whether that's retail, ops. Um, you know, people team, like what does that look like for us? 
Um, but then my team is really, my team is vast um, because we do serve as the touch points across the entire business on the brand. So, so how big is your team? I know your company is how many people now are you? Um, we are over 200 employees oh, now. Wow. Yeah, close to 300. Um, my team is really special um, the way we're structured. So I have three different pods. Um, the first pod is brand marketing. So that's a team that brings our brand purpose to life through brand communications mm -hmm. and um, and kind of how you would think of um, how a lot of the work I actually did when I was at Diageo, um, working very much hand in hand with the creative team and with our growth marketing teams in terms of right message, right creative in the right place with the right amount of support from a media standpoint. So when you say communication, it's all communication. So it's your Instagram, it's advertising, yeah. it's customer yeah. experience, everything. Well, that, that part of the team would be um, campaign development, brand management functions, uh, influencer marketing, experiential marketing, okay. partnerships, content. Mm -hmm. um, the second pod of uh, my team is product strategy and product marketing. So we talk about our brand driving our, our product. So um, our product marketing team, which is something that um, it exists in some CPG companies. It, it definitely comes from the beauty business. And what we've really infused that with the concept of merchandising to make a really brand-led view on what product looks like. And they kind of think about our brand architecture all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's building our, our pipeline and the new categories we're going to go into and what that looks like. Um, and then the third team is an integrated customer and community team, basically the team that instills so much passion in our customers, speaking to them every single day that they can't help but talk about away um, to their friends and family. So that's all customer experience, customer insights, um, community management, and actually social media sits there because they're having that one-on-one -on -one dialogue every day. Um, and then kind of retail marketing and all the community experiences we build in and around our stores. So of the 300 people at Away, you must have a pretty high percentage of them. Um, almost a third, yeah. And it's still unusual in the industry for a head of marketing or a CMO to have product. Mm. That's a very powerful competitive advantage. Yeah, we think so too. So tell me a little bit more about how you um, keep an organization customer focused. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? I mean, I know you talk about it, but how do you ensure that People can experiment, they can stretch, they, mm -hmm. can do, they can do things to make the customer happy, they can bring ideas forth. Everyone is trying to be customer obsessed. People have different ways of doing it. Amazon is customer mm -hmm. obsessed in their own way. Tell us about what that means in a way, how you cultivate it, how you hire for it, how do you keep it evolving? Yeah, I, I think there's a few different things in there, which is first is being customer obsessed is one of our core values as a business. So whenever we're, we think about even making recommendations or strategies, it always comes back to how is this, how is this the most customer obsessed way of approaching this problem? Um, the second is that, I mean, we're so lucky. We, that's, a, that's what a direct-to-consumer business is, is that you can have that one-on-one -on -one dialogue with your customers all day and use that data. It's almost an overwhelming amount of data. Um, but every single launch we do, every communication touchpoint is a new data point. So our insights team actually is assembling what we call like a voice of a customer report, which is um, something other companies try and do, but ours is real time. And we can see that happening. Um, even at the highest levels of the company, we're looking at things like NPS, we're looking at customer trends, um, and our product team is iterating on in little ways every single day based on the feedback that we're seeing come through that. So I guess that's to say it's just our, it's our way of operating. 
Um, and we believe customer experience drives value and customer experience sits on the brand team. So I think by and large, the way we're structured, the way it's in our company values, and it's just kind of our standard operating you know, procedures, um, makes us feel like we live and breathe customers every day. Let me go back to your brand purpose for a moment yeah. because it is your company purpose yeah. right? and it guides how you're thinking about the future. How do you know you're making progress? How do you measure it? Are there KPIs or is it a qualitative thing or? Yeah, I think I think there's a few things. One is that we're actually really lucky at this stage of the company. We have full brand tracking. So we look at a lot of um, statements that ladder up into what transforming travel might mean. So for example, away is in innovative, away is modern, away is creative. Those are all indicatives of being kind of transformative and really having that lasting impact on a customer. Um, so we track movement on that quarterly. Um, the other way that I think about it is that the way that, that every single team can operate with that North Star makes all the work across every team work harder. And so that's, it's very like hard to measure something like that. But if our, the way we fulfill an order and the promise that we make and the unboxing experience, if that matches the brand they see on Instagram, which is, and the one that they email in customer service, the one they see at the store, then that will make people love the brand even more. And brand love and engagement are obviously things that we track regularly. But I think, I think that's much harder. Um, and that's why I think a lot of, companies don't necessarily, they know brands are important, but they haven't been able to quantify how that impacts their business. If I dropped you into some major global companies today, yeah. maybe, I don't know, Toyota, yeah. Procter & Gamble, Nestle, mm -hmm. and I wanted you to tell them about what you've learned about activating a brand purpose in your culture, what would you tell them? Ooh. Um, so this is, this is something I've actually been thinking quite a lot about which is that there is a difference between brand and between marketing. That's to say that marketing is often treated as like amplification, but what you really actually want is brand because brand drives your whole business. So what I would go to those companies and say, let's talk to your CFO, chief strategy officer, whatever that looks like. Um, and as a CEO, they have to be really bought into that. And it's like, how do we build what our brand purpose is and how does that actually reorient the strategies of our business. And that'll make the marketing work a lot harder. Can you give me a, an example of a decision you've made in a way that was brand-led? Mm -hmm. I mean, everything you're yeah, doing yeah, is yeah. brand-led, but one that was really symbolic. Ooh, um, Maybe I, can, I can give you examples of things that we won't do. Mm -hmm. um, so um, we get approached by third-party retailers all the time. And for us, it's, you know, there's a lot of actually, you know, beyond, yeah, it's not right to consumer, we don't have the consumer data, but it also doesn't get, it doesn't allow the customer at that endpoint of purchase to have any sense of our brand at all. Um, they don't know what we stand for. They don't understand the, mm -hmm. the storytelling, um, even the highlights of our product. And then also that customer can't have, if they have a question with regards to, you know, their customer experience, they actually can't interact with us in the same way. It totally breaks everything down. Um, and so that's a decision that, you know, for today and, you know, into the foreseeable future is, you know, a brand led decision, even if it feels like a very strong financial one. Mm -hmm. I understand. So I want to talk about recruiting for a yeah. moment. And you, last time I think I talked to you, you had 150 people. You're now at 300. Oh, as business. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you know, you're really, Moving. you're really going up. 
And I was, um, I was talking to the number two person at Union Square Hospitality, mm. Danny Meyer's company, which does hospitality about as well as anyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I really admired them. And I asked him about interviewing. And he said he has three questions. And, he's, and that's all. And he said, I can tell everything from these three questions. And they are, what is the misperception of you? The most common misperception of you? That was one question. Okay. That's a tough one, right? Next one is the best gift you ever gave anyone. And the third one was who do you admire? So do you have sort of an analog at your company at a way in terms of how you ensure that you're bringing the right kind of people into your culture to help your culture grow and improve? Yeah, honestly, I think a lot of what the questions that we ask um, very much tap into our company culture. And that's kind of how I think about it. So um, what does customer obsessed mean to you? What is a great customer experience? So kind of like, it, you know, mm-hmm. pieces of those questions, because you'd be surprised a lot of people when they, especially in marketing, they're like, I love marketing. I'm like, but you actually, the answer is you don't love marketing. It's that you love people and you love customers and you love using marketing to serve their needs. Yeah. Right. Um, the second, um, I think you have some of these questions, but like, what do you watch in the morning? Like, how do you keep up to date with We're gonna things? We're going to get to those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, for me is some type of curiosity. Um, and then, you know, I think the last one is like, what is the lasting impact you want to have where you go next? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want to, like, truly what's, if someone was to write a gravestone of what you did, I wouldn't say it that way, but you know, mm-hmm. um, what would you, what would you want to be known for? So how generally do people handle those questions? Um, interesting discussions, right? Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends how exposed people are on the marketing side, but I think something that I've been really um, thinking about is, you know, how much of that is trained versus how much of that is native. And, you know, there's a lot of ways you can talk around it, but I think the people we've hired nail those questions. And so Mm -hmm. that's something, I mean, we very much value hiring 10 out of 10s um, and not just scaling at any cost. Mm -hmm. So how do you stay curious? Um, so I, I was thinking about this. Um, I read a lot, you know, uh, as far as like online and kind of all the trades and those kinds of things, but I'm a big music video watcher, mm. like late night YouTube. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> I know, every night. Like a Gen Z. Every night. Um, not every night, but a lot of nights, like I end up in that, that circle where it's like, I watch this video and it's like, Oh, you're going to like this video. So mm, then I watch yeah, that video right? and then it just like keeps going. But what I love about music videos and what that's like become today is just such an amalgamation of like all the cultural and societal economic, all the tensions. It's like art history. It's mm-hmm. like looking at an image, watching this kind of video, like you, you, you see so much reflected in what's happening today. So you read, you look at music videos. Are, are you a movie person? Are you a series person? Are you, uh, you know, do you? Yeah, yeah. I, I've. Um, we only have so many hours in our day. But we only have so many hours. Do you in do our books? Day. Do you read books anymore? I am actually. So I'm a big. Um, been rewatching for season of Succession. Yeah. I'm gonna watch t- season two, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, I watch a lot of like what goes on, like some bad television, because I think there's actually a lot of, um, there's a lot that you pick up. So HGTV is one of the, uh, HGTV sure. is great, but what you see in there is like trends towards open concepts, family dynamics, um, like suites for mothers-in-laws and father-in-law. And like you, there's all these like cultural dynamics mm-hmm. that are in it. So yeah, even though if I like not into the output, so I think that's pretty interesting. Um and then I watch New York One very religiously mm-hmm. here in New York. Mm-hmm. 
So you talked about the questions you ask, and one was what impact you're going to make or what legacy you have yeah. or what's on your gravestone. I mean, it's a little bit morbid, but yeah. you get the idea. So how about for you? How do you um, think about that for yourself? I mean, I think when it comes when it comes to a way, I think for me it's that like um I like delivered our brand purpose, solidified our brand strategy, and it's something that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later is the same words that we all speak in the halls of away. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And it's possible, you know. It is. A lot of the brands that I've worked on, that you've worked on, people generations ago started the movement. Yeah. And a lot of those things are very, very similar. Yeah. I, basically, yeah. I hope it doesn't have to be changed. Yeah, you know? right. And you know, it's it's grounded. It, it shouldn't change. Yeah, it shouldn't. It right. Absolutely should not change. Yeah. So we're already talking a little bit more about you as a person and yeah. leader and human being. And I think you're a pretty remarkable young leader. And I just want to go there a little bit mm -hmm. more and look at some fun questions and maybe Let's some thoughtful it. questions. What's your, your uh, color, your style of your away luggage? Ooh, okay. I have aluminum, but I have two aluminum colors. Sure. Um, and those are? And that is um, steel, which was kind of like a limited edition we did. It's kind of like a darker gray and then are just like our classic. Um, and yeah, I mean, aluminum is statement making. Um, it brings on these like beautiful dents when you travel with mm -hmm. it that we think are like symbols stories. of your travels, yeah. your stories. So yeah, that's what I travel with. So what do you recommend I have? You could be an aluminum guy. Okay. I could also see you as like um, green, which is navy's actually your number one color. Um, so people like to be slightly off from black. And I think you're like slightly off from what everybody else is doing. So you're a green. Okay. I'll order tonight. Okay. Yeah. Is that a deal? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. All right. Second question, your favorite place to travel. And that's an unfair one because you probably like to travel different places. Um, I, I, I'm a city person. I like exploration. So I actually was in Paris this summer. I, I mean, it's so trite, but it never gets I, old. It never gets old. And um, there's so much to explore, to eat, museums. Like, I, I love it. Yeah, I do too. Any European city kind of gives me the feels in that way. So, how many days a year do you travel? Um, ooh, I mean, I, I actually I spend quite a bit of time with my team. Um, I probably travel. Um, like once every six weeks. How's that all? Yeah, I think, um, I think that'll change, especially mm -hmm. as we continue to expand globally right. and meet a lot of offices. But I'm definitely very much, you know, running and operating a team, mm -hmm. um, in New York. We talked about books. You said you read a bit. What's the book that you've read recently that's had an impact on you? I've actually reread um, Shoe Dog. Oh, yeah. I've read it a few times, but like, whenever I feel that itch, I'm like, I need to like get this burst of like energy and gosh perseverance um and just like will. what was your biggest surprise from that book you know i think people look at nike this is still knight's book by the way yeah, yeah and i think people look at it and or look at nike and they're like it's so obvious and like it feels like they got it from the very beginning they landed just do it you know their first day and all those things but there is so much perseverance and hardship and just uh gosh like gut that's behind all of that to even get to that point where they were able to make that kind of declarative statement so i think that's something that people don't know about so what do you do to renew yourself to stay kind of fresh and creative and 
Yeah. You know, energetic. Um, Honestly, I get so much of that from my team. I think I remember when I, you know, even before I was in marketing, but I was always like the young one who knew everything that was going on. And I would be like, oh, like, what's the cool, what's the cool song right now? Mm -hmm. Like, what are the yep. videos right now? And now I definitely, I look to my team, like we have a really vib vibrant channel, like on our, one of our Slack channels is just sharing like news and yeah, like stuff. fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And like the team keeps me so energized by sharing that. And in our, in our monthly team meeting, like one person is responsible for sharing their inspiration of the month. And so, oh, that's nice. yeah, and we, nice have like, and we have a discussion about it. And I think, um, that's been, that's been like the best energy I can get. And then, you know, we're in Soho. I spend a lot of time, honestly, just walking around and like observing. There's so much to take in and it's a natural kind of curious and looking at customers. I'm like, why is everyone going into that store? What's going on here? And mm -hmm. you kind of pick up on a lot of things. Yeah. So who are some of the leaders you admire? Um, it's interesting. I've been very fortunate that I'm actually really close with anyone who's ever led me. Um, I have really strong relationships with every manager and CMO um, that I've ever worked for. Um, so, you know, very much there. Um, I mean, I look to Jen and staff for a ton. Um, How often do you see them? Every day in some capacity, yeah. Um, Scheduled or both? You know, happenstance both. Both, but definitely like I, the CMO at Anheuser-Busch who recruited me, um, I like, you know, we'll email him and we'll like grab a beer. Actually, now I don't have to drink beer. I can get a cocktail right. <laughs> um, and talk about things. And that's been, that's been great. So I would say I just have always had like a network of mentors um, and they've like kept me, you know, they've helped me reflect, have, have helped me, you know, they're like, oh, I went through that same thing, I can help you. And so um, those aren't leaders that are necessarily like famous or on a national scale, but there's people who I have personal relationships with. And they get a lot from that too. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be that way, right? Yeah, and I've been able to in turn be that for some of the people who yeah. I've managed. And yeah. It's really fulfilling. So what's a brand right now that you would really miss if it was not in your life? Ooh, I think I mean, mine is Spotify. Like I... It's been, it's super interesting as someone, well, I like had Napster and LimeWire mm -hmm. and yep. everything, um, then got scared. <laughs> like, yeah. Did you try Apple <laughs> Did all well? of them. Yeah. I mean, I had Apple for a time. It's crazy mm -hmm. because I rely on Apple for the rest of my life so much, but from a music standpoint, it just like hasn't delivered in the same way. Um, and yeah, Spotify. Mm -hmm. How many hours a day? Ooh. Um, I'm not really big music at work. I like to be really immersed. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know, like an hour a day. Hour a day yeah. yeah. So uh, is there a podcast you listen to regularly? Uh, I like The Daily. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think, um, you know, coupled with New York One, it's like a different, it's a different side of things. Um, but I feel like, yeah, if, I like feeling informed and having a point of view. Yeah. So who would you like to hear on this podcast? I think you already had him, but Fernando from yeah. Burger King. Honestly, I admire the simplicity of his vision and the way he like believes in creative and in stunts. Like they're all off of. I mean, I saw him speak once. He came to Anheuser Busch. He's close to our mm -hmm. company. Um, and he talked about like this one line brief that is always on that to every agency internal team that they can answer at any single time. 
and how many ideas have come from that. And I just like love that sense um, creativity is able to foster through those kinds of ideas. He's always open to ideas. And he talked about one ritual on our podcast where he just, you know, Friday afternoon, I have nothing on my calendar. If anyone has an idea, come on in, call me, whatever. It's just, I'm just sitting here waiting. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think that's something that, um, you know, I try to foster a lot as a leader is that, sure, I have a vision and I have ideas and we have a strategy and a roadmap and all the things we want to do. But if when people have ideas that they feel they can deliver on that in a better way, in a different way, in something we haven't thought of, like we're all ears. How do you handle failure and resilience? I mean, it's not a straight line, right? Not every day goes well, not every week goes well. So how do you do that yourself and how does your company do it? Um, myself is like, I, I can like reflect and I kind of write down like, you know, what, what I missed, maybe some of the context and maybe like out of my control, like whatever that looked like, but I like to document it. Make it, it just overt. Like, yeah. And I, it also just like kind of feels good to like write how you feel, even if you don't send it to anybody. Um, but for me, it's kind of, we wake, I wake up every day and it's like, it's a new day. And the way you move past that problem is is actually what you're judged on, not the problem. And so I really much, I very much focus on like moving forward and how to take those learnings and make sure that, you know, those kinds of things don't happen again. Um, I think as a business, um, I mean, I've, I've mentioned our core values many times, but another one that hasn't come up yet is the concept of being in it together. So when there, when, you know, when things happen, there's never a sense of, there's no bus. There's never a sense of any team did one thing. Like we're in it together as a business for one unit. We know what we're building. And I think, you know, we, we kind of move on and, you know, we make things right and we all band together to find the solutions. Beautiful. Anything we haven't talked about that you want to talk about before we close this out? It's been a wonderful conversation. The one thing that I think about a lot, which, um, I, I don't know if it's come up in your other conversations, but it's very much this difference between marketing and between brand. Um, and I, you know, it's something it's I even think It's an important about. one. It's really important. And I think even as we think about the title of a chief marketing officer, it's kind of, it can be a misnomer or, you know, it can be really misleading as to what that actually means in your business. And so that's just something I've been, I've been thinking about quite a bit. No, it's a very really profound thought. Yeah. Brand is a bigger concept. Brand is company. Yep. Brand is values. Mm-hmm. Brand is people. Exactly. I think, it's yeah. A good, it's a good headline for this podcast. Great. Selena, it was wonderful. Yeah, thank you You're for You're very having generous. Me. And it was a wonderful from the heart discussion. Yeah, thank you again. That was my conversation with Selena Calvaria. What was really special about this conversation was how she spoke from her heart about being brand led and how that's different from marketing and how team at Away is building a brand-led culture, which they think is the ultimate competitive advantage and the reason they attract so many remarkable people. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.